just a moment, I'm going to read Philippians chapter 2, and I invite you to have your Bibles open. If you're using Pew Bibles, it'd be page 1069. Before I read that scripture, I would like for us to pause together for a moment's meditation, some time to reflect and be in God's presence in silence, and then I'll lead us in family prayer. Our mighty and merciful God, so many blessings have just washed over us already this morning as we have experienced your presence, this robust, rich time to reflect on the power of your love and the power of the cross. So we come humbly, praying that our lives would be in tune with you and ready to receive all you have. We remember the brokenness of our world a world that needs you. We pray for those who are serving all over the earth today on mission fields. We pray especially for our armed forces here at home and far away. We pray that you might protect them and bless them and their families. And we pray, dear God, that you might work in the lives of people that there might be peace with justice. We pray especially for our sisters and brothers in Ukraine and for all of the tension and violence there. We ask that you bless in a tender way, in a special way, those in our congregation who are sick, those who are grieving, those who are experiencing special kinds of brokenness. We pray that you might touch their hearts and touch their bodies. We, we ask God that you bless those who are spiritually hungry and maybe even here this morning and and need so desperately a relationship with you that our, that our time together might be such that people can come to be ushered into a, to a very real relationship with you. We ask God that you help this church to be servant church. Help us, Lord, to love with our hands and feet, not just with our words and prayers. You who put on humble flesh have taught us how to humbly serve, and we pray that you'll help us to hear your word this morning. We offer our lives and our attention in the name of Jesus. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, and I'll read through the 11th verse, and I'll invite you to stand if you're able as I read God's word. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
May God bless this word to our hearts and understanding. You may be seated. I want you to take a moment and look at the cover of your bulletins, and I want you to notice the sermon series that we're completing this morning, Struggles on the Jesus Way. And we began March 9th with guilt. We talked about risk, suffering, despair, and grief. And this morning, perhaps, we talk about the most difficult one of all because it's, it's more insidious. It's... It's inside us. It's not so much a threat that's out there as it is the threat that's on the inside. It's pride. It's selfishness. It's that stuff that gets in the way of us dealing with life in an an effective way. Have you ever noticed that we can be so focused on our own happiness and our own rights and our own privileges that we can actually become exhausted from all of that work of trying to focus on our own happiness and our own rights. In fact, it's sort of ironic that sometimes it seems like the more we work at our own happiness, the less happy we are because it's very me-centered. Let me say it another way. Have you ever noticed that most selfish people are miserable, and most miserable people are selfish. Think about it. Richard Foster is a Quaker who's done a lot of writing about spiritual disciplines, and and he says about the spiritual discipline of submission, he said submission is the ability to lay down the terrible burden of always having to be right. You ever think about being right as a terrible burden? The terrible burden of always having to be right. And submission is to be able to finally unload that burden and, and, to, and to give up and to know that it's not a battle I have to fight. It's not something I have to carry around. And so, uh, we look at this passage of Scripture that's, that's just a marvelous section of Scripture, but I, I want to help us sort of... Uh, understand how Paul put it together. Now, I'm going to state the obvious because it's 8.15 and sometimes the obvious needs to be stated on a Sunday morning this early. Paul starts out by talking about the need to let go of pride and selfishness. He starts out by talking about the need to uh, be humble and to get along with one another. That's verses 1 through 4. And then verse 5 begins that marvelous hymn that embedded poem that we believe was not original with Paul, but was a song that the early church sang in worship, or they recited antiphonally in responsive reading from memory, because it's as if Paul breaks out into song. And and it's a beautiful section about how Jesus Christ was equal with God, but thought nothing of letting go, relinquishing his rights, that he might empty himself, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. Uh, We've heard it, we, we, we heard it this morning, and it's beautiful. But here's what I want you to get. For years, I thought, the main point of Paul's sermon here is to teach us something new about Jesus. Jesus' self-emptying, Jesus' humility and incarnation, Jesus taking on flesh and taking on the cross. For years I thought, 
Paul's wanting to teach us something new about Jesus, and those early verses, 1 through 4, are just a warm-up about getting along and being unselfish to get us ready for the cross. But actually, I think it's the other way around. I think the sermon that Paul wants to preach is verses 1 through 4 about letting go of pride and learning to get along, and the illustration of the sermon is verses 5 through 11, what Jesus Christ has done for us in coming to earth and dying on the cross. You see the difference? Same truth, but it actually changes the emphasis. And, and here are Paul's three points, if you want to think of his, his uh, sermon as having three points. He says in verses 3 and 4, do nothing from selfishness. Number two, regard others above yourself. Both of those are in verse 3. And then verse 4, look out for others' interests before your own. That's the sermon. And then Paul wants to illustrate the truth by saying, by the way, that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. He was equal with God, but thought nothing of relinquishing his rights and so forth. And, and these are great truths. That, that is the heart of the gospel message, and that is the heart of, of the solution to pride. Now, he says in verse 3 that we are to uh, do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit. The word conceit literally means hollow opinion. An opinion that is hollow, an opinion that doesn't have any weight to it, that doesn't have any substance to it. It's an opinion about ourselves that's overrated. It's an opinion of pride where we value ourselves or we think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. I love the Ann Landers quote. Uh, she said, don't accept your dog's admiration as conclusive evidence that you are wonderful. And yes, Rod, I put a picture of a uh, golden retriever up there. Not because Rod's proud, I didn't mean that, but because uh, Rod loves golden retrievers. So don't accept your dog's admiration as conclusive proof that you're wonderful. Uh, some of you, like me, love presidential history, and uh, I love the, the character of Teddy Roosevelt. He was kind of larger than life. He was just sort of, he was an imposing presence, and he had... Uh, a pretty healthy ego, and his children once said, you know, Daddy wants to be the bride at every wedding, and he wants to be the corpse at every funeral. <laughs> he just really enjoyed being the center of attention. And there is that pride, that hollow opinion of ourselves that says, it's all about me. It's all about me. And, and Paul answers that in verse 3, but in humility regard others as better than self. Humility, interesting Greek word, it's a Greek compound word meaning low-mindedness, low-mindedness. And scholars believe it's a Greek word that was coined by the early Christians. In other words, it was not a word that was in use uh, in the vernacular of first century Greek speaking and writing until Christians came along and they put the word low and mindedness together as a compound word to describe our posture as followers of Jesus low-mindedness. Now, let me anticipate where you're going, and let me head you off. The Bible does not teach self-hatred. The Bible does not teach that we are to allow other people to abuse us. Humility, this low-mindedness means, that we will no longer let pride and privileges govern our lives. 
that we will no longer let our pride and our claim to privileges dictate our decisions and how we treat one another. That's where Paul was going with that word humility. And so, as I said, it's after he, he gives us the sermon of those three points that he, that he begins to talk about Jesus Christ as an illustration of this truth. Let this same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did, did not cling to his privileges, did not clutch his rights as, as being with the Father, but gave it all up and emptied himself, taking the cross, the obedience even unto shameful death. You've heard of upward mobility. Jesus practiced downward mobility. Just going down and down and down from what he was, giving it all up. And William Barclay has a, a real good summary of this. Uh, I guess we're stuck on the number three for Trinity today. I don't know, but uh, William Barclay in his commentary says, this is what Christ did. He did not dominate others, but serve them. He did not seek his own way, but God's. He did not seek his own glory, but God's. Those are all very interrelated, but not the same thing. And this is a summary of what Paul is saying in Philippians chapter 2. He did not dominate others. He served. He did not seek his own way, but God's. He did not seek his own glory, but God's. And I want to just do a time out here and ask you to do a check-in. How's your, how's your pride How's your humility on the Jesus scale? How's your life measuring up today on this Jesus scale? We're thinking about, isn't it? I want us to think about some applications to the dangers of pride. I want you to think, first of all, how pride can actually block us from ever having a relationship with God in the first place. I mean, think about this. In order to become a follower of Jesus, we must repent. We must acknowledge our sin and brokenness and our pride that has shut him out. In other words, our will must be broken before we can follow Jesus because Jesus says we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross before we can follow. So pride is a barrier to a relationship with God in the first place because our will must be broken. We must acknowledge our need of Christ. Not until we do that can we really receive the gift of life that Jesus Christ has for us, forgiveness and life and so forth. Here's a second application. Think about how pride hinders our relationships with others. If you read Philippians carefully, that's a lot of what Paul is writing about. There were some tensions in the Philippian church uh, between and among some people, and Paul was not just writing about the cross, he was, walk, he was writing about the fact that Jesus' example of unselfishness is, is the way to learn to get along with others. Think, I think in my own life, almost every day, about how my pride gets in the way of the God-intended connections that I am to have, the God-intended relationships that I was created for, but how pride can get in the way of those things. I want you to think of a third application to the dangers of pride. And, and now I'm thinking more about uh, 
social uh, constructions and and uh, I want I want to think about how pride and selfishness adhere to social systems and to institutions and how corporate pride becomes such a huge issue how corporate selfishness becomes such a huge issue in community and in our world I uh, I'm friends with a pastor here in town who testified recently at a legislative session regarding the payday loan industry and my pastor friend was was pointing out the evil of an industry that is uh, regulated only to the extent that interest rates have to not exceed 1500 percent that the average interest rate in Missouri for payday loans among people by the way who can least afford it the average Missouri payday loan is 400 some percent and my pastor friend was just earnestly and humbly trying to share and and my pastor friend was ripped by the legislator was verbally abused by the legislator in open session why why can't you why would you want to why would you want to deprive these people of access to good quality loans don't you care about the people of your community and you know my response there there's really only what do you call that kind of corporate pride what do you call that kind of uh, institutional selfishness there's only one word for it and it's sin and sin may wear a business suit but sin is still sin whether it's dressed in coveralls or suits or whatever see pride has many manifestations selfishness has many manifestations in our world and in our lives here's another application to the danger of pride what about the way that pride keeps us from joyous fruitful Christian service been thinking a lot about this What about the way that pride keeps us from joyous, fruitful Christian service? Because, you know, we, most of us here this morning, if we were surveyed, we want to serve Christ, but we'd really like to serve Christ on our own terms when it's convenient, right? And we really struggle with uh, that cross getting too heavy when it's not convenient. As I thought about this passage of Scripture and I thought about that application of, of uh, pride keeping me from joyous, fruitful Christian service, I, I found myself saying things like, Lord, don't let me be that kind of blank, and then you fill it in. Because I, when I look at ugly attitudes in other people or I look in the mirror and see ugly attitudes in myself or see churches that become self-consumed, I, I, I think to myself, Lord, don't ever let me become that kind of blank, fill in the blank, that kind of husband that's consumed with his own career and interests and not attentive to his spouse and not putting her interest above his own. Uh, that kind of Christian, that kind of Christian who wants the privilege of serving, but I also want the privilege of complaining about it when I do. 
Lord, don't let us become that kind of church. You know the kind of church I'm talking about. The kind of church that writes anonymous notes that are hateful instead of having the courage to have loving and face-to-face conversations. There are churches that do that, you know. Lord, don't let us become that kind of church that is filled with gossip rather than communication that edifies. There are congregations like that. And Lord, don't let us become the kind of congregation that is addicted to programs and and lives only for its own comforts and its own uh, entertainment and strengthening and never looks out into the community and to the needs that are out there. Don't let us ever become that kind of church. See, here's what happens, people. When my hands are so busy clutching my rights, when my arms are so busy clinging to my privileges, my hands and arms are therefore not not free to serve and to love and to soothe and to give and to do. When my hands are all tangled up with my own selfish needs, my hands aren't free to serve. And so, remember that three-point sermon that Paul gave, said do nothing from selfishness? That's the same one we looked at a while ago. That's the sermon. Do nothing from selfishness. Regard others above yourself. Look out for others' interests before your own. I love the New English Bible translation of verse 5. It says, let your bearing toward each other arise out of your life in Christ. I like that. Let your bearing toward each other arise naturally out of your life in Christ. It's not something we work up. Jesus is not a model that we see from a distance and try to emulate and and imitate. No, let your bearing toward one another arise naturally, supernaturally, out of your life in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something, a little farm story about wheat. Somebody has observed that when the wheat is ripe and ready to harvest, the head bows in humility, saying, take me. I'm ready to be used. You know, when the wheat stalk is upright and strong and green, there's none of that bowing. But when it's ripe, when it's ready to bear fruit, It humbly bows under the weight of its fruitfulness. What's your posture this morning? What's your posture? Joyous and fruitful, bowing? Remember the scripture that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess. Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Let's pray. God, open our hearts to the wonders of your grace, to the privilege of service, to the possible fruitfulness that comes. Open our hearts, we pray. 
Amen.